We've been following, of course, the very distasteful Dodgers debacle, how they invited and then disinvited and then invited again the blasphemous, anti-Catholic, quote-unquote, sisters of perpetual indulgence. But I'm going to share the powerful deathbed reconversion testimony of a far more legendary figure in baseball circles. I'm talking about perhaps the greatest player of all time, George Herman Babe Ruth, far better known by his nickname, Babe Ruth, and his return to the Catholic faith very close to the time of his death. It's an incredible letter that he wrote from a hospital bed. He was well known for living a life of debauchery, essentially living on hot dogs and beer. Every hotel you would check into after a game, according to his teammates, the bathtub in his room would be filled with ice and beer all ready to go. One of his roommates uh, on road trip said, I never saw Babe, I saw his suitcase. Basically, his suitcase was my roommate because he was out all night just partying, chasing women, and generally living, as another teammate said, the life of an animal. But Babe came to regret all this, and on his deathbed, he wrote a letter, and he wrote it to the Christian magazine called Guideposts. And he talked about his early life and how his Catholic training, his Catholic formation, never really left him and enabled him to come back to Christ and to the Eucharist in the end. I'm going to read this to you, this letter from Babe Ruth. It's extremely powerful. You're listening to The Cale Clark Show. Here's Babe Ruth, quote, Bad boy Ruth, that was me. Don't get the idea that I'm proud of my harem scarum youth. I'm not. I simply had a rotten start in life and it took me a long time to get my bearings. Looking back to my youth, I honestly don't think I knew the difference between right and wrong. I spent much of my early boyhood living over my father's saloon in Baltimore. And when I wasn't living over it, I was in it. Soaking up the atmosphere. I hardly knew my parents. St. Mary's Industrial School in Baltimore, where I was finally taken, has been called an orphanage and a reform school. It was, in fact, a training school for orphans, incorrigibles, delinquents, and runaways picked up on the streets of the city. I was listed as an incorrigible. I guess I was. Perhaps I always would have been, but for Brother Matthias the greatest man I have ever known, and for the religious training I received there, which has since been so important to me. I doubt if any appeal could have straightened me out except a power over and above man, the appeal of God. Iron rod discipline couldn't have done it, nor all the punishment and reward systems that could have been devised. God had an eye out for me, just as he has for you, and he was pulling for me to make the grade. As I look back now, I realize that the knowledge of God was a big crossroads with me. I got one thing straight, and I wish all kids did, that God was boss. He was not only my boss, but boss of all my bosses. Up until then, like all bad kids, I hated most of the people who had control over me and could punish me. I began to see that I had a higher person to reckon with, who never changed, whereas my earthly authorities changed from year to year. Those who bossed me around had the same self-battles. They, like me, had to account to God. I also realized that God was not only just, but merciful. He knew we were weak and that we all found it easier to be stinkers than good sons of God, not only as kids, but all through our lives. I love the turn of phrase, too. (laughs) 
We found it easier to be stinkers. I mean, who talks like that anymore? I love it. Babe Ruth continues, quote, that clear picture, I'm sure, would be important to any kid who hates a teacher or resents a person in charge. This picture of my relationship to man and God was what helped relieve me of bitterness and rancor and a desire to get even. I've seen a great number of he-men in my baseball career, but never one equal to Brother Matthias. He stood six foot six and weighed 250 pounds. It was all muscle. He could have been successful at anything he wanted to in life, and he chose the church. It was he who introduced me to baseball. Very early, he noticed that I had some natural talent for throwing and catching. He used to back me into a corner of the big baseball yard at St. Mary's, and he would bunt a baseball to me every hour, all hour long, correcting mistakes I made with my hands and my feet. I'll never forget the first time I saw him hit a baseball. In 1902, the baseball was a lump of mush, but Brother Matthias would stand at the end of the yard, throw the ball up with his left hand, and give it a terrific belt with the bat he held in his right hand. The ball would carry 350 feet, a tremendous knock in those days. I would watch him bug-eyed, end of quote. I, I just love this. Yes, this was the truly the dead ball era. Home runs were pretty rare. Uh, that changed, of course, over time. But Brother Matthias, actually, he was from Nova Scotia, Canada, my home province. I didn't know that, but in doing some research for this, I found this out. And he was such a powerful influence on the young Babe Ruth, who didn't want to take direction from anybody or anything, but he would listen to Brother Matthias. Let's continue on with what Ruth says in his letter. Quote, Thanks to Brother Matthias, I was able to leave St. Mary's in 1914 and begin my professional career with the famous Baltimore Orioles. By the way, the Orioles were a minor league team back then. Ruth continues, quote, Out of my own, free from the rigid rules of a religious school, boy, did it go to my head. I really began to cut capers. I strayed from the church, but I don't think I forgot my religious training. I just overlooked it. I just overlooked it. I prayed often and hard, but like many irrepressible young fellows, the swift tempo of living shoved religion into the background. End of quote. Babe Ruth, during his playing career, was well known for partying all night long, but he would still drag himself to Sunday Mass in the morning. <laughs> maybe he should have went to confession first, and maybe he did, but, but this is what he said. It all went to his head, and he just began living this dissolute life. The swift tempo of living, he said, shoved religion into the background. He continues on, quote, So what good was all the hard work and ceaseless interest of the religious brothers? People would argue. You can't make kids religious, they say, because it just won't take. Send kids to Sunday school, and they too often end up hating it and the church. Don't you believe it? As far as I'm concerned, and I think as far as most kids go, once religion sinks in, it stays there, deep down. The lads who get religious training get it where it counts, in the roots. They may fail it, but it never fails them. When the score is against them or they get a bum pitch, that unfailing something inside will be there to draw on. I've seen it with kids. I know from the letters that they write to me. The more I think of it, the more important I feel it is to give kids the works, quote-unquote, as far as religion is concerned. They'll never want to be holy. They'll act tough in contrast, but somewhere inside will be a solid little chapel. 
It may get dusty from neglect, but the time will come when the door will be opened with much relief. But the kids can't take it if we don't give it to them. I've been criticized as often as I've been praised for my activities with kids on the grounds that what I did was for publicity. Well, criticism doesn't matter. I never forgot where I came from. Every dirty-faced kid I see is another potentially useful citizen. No one knew better than I what it meant not to have your own home, a backyard, your own kitchen, your own icebox. That's why all through the years, even when the big money was rolling in, I'd never forget St. Mary's, Brother Matthias, and the boys I left behind. I kept going back. End of quote. That's true. Babe Ruth would not look for publicity for these things, but he gave a lot of money to St. Mary's. And he even bought a Cadillac for Brother Matthias, who unfortunately crashed it, and then he bought him another one. He would often visit hospitals and visit children, and he didn't want this activity to be publicized at all. Let's get back to Babe Ruth's deathbed letter. Quote, as I look back on those moments when I let the kids down, as he's talking about his dissolute lifestyle there, as I look back on those moments when I let the kids down, they were my worst. I guess I was so anxious to enjoy life to the fullest that I forgot the rules or ignored them. Once in a while, you can get away with it, but not for long. When I broke training, the effects were felt by myself and the ball team and even by the fans. While I drifted away from the church, I did have my own altar, if you will, a big window in my New York apartment overlooking the city lights. Often I would kneel before that window and say my prayers. I would feel quite humble then. I'd ask God to help me, not make such a big fool of myself, and pray that I'd measure up to what he expected of me. In December of 1946, Babe Ruth continues, I was in French Hospital, New York, facing a serious operation. Paul Carey, one of my oldest and closest friends, was by my bedside one night. He said, they're going to operate in the morning, babe. Don't you think that you ought to put your house in order? I didn't dodge the long, challenging look in his eyes. I knew what he meant. For the first time, I realized that death might strike me out. I nodded, and Paul got up and called in a Catholic chaplain, a priest, and I made a full confession. I'll return in the morning and give you Holy Communion, the priest said, but you don't have to fast. And back then, there was an all-night fast required before a communion in the morning. Babe Ruth said, all fast. He said, I didn't even have a drop of water. And he continues, quote, as I lay in my bed that evening, I thought to myself, what a comforting feeling to be free from fear and worries. I now could simply turn them over to God. And later on, my wife brought me a letter from a little kid in Jersey City. Dear babe, he wrote, everybody in the seventh grade class is pulling for you and praying for you. I'm enclosing a medal which, if you wear, will make you better. Signed, your pal, Mike Quinlan. P.S. I know that this will be your 61st homer. You'll hit it. Babe Ruth continues, I asked them to pin the miraculous medal of Our Lady to my pajama coat, and I've worn the medal constantly ever since. I'll wear it to my grave. End of quote. Wow, that is a stirring, powerful uh, last testimony from Babe Ruth. So many things that kind of makes me think about the power of a true friend, his friend Paul, and how he said, Babe, you really might want to think about getting your house in order. You know, asking him that question. You know, bringing our friends to confession is one of the, the best things that we could ever possibly do for them. And 
And he listened to him. He actually listened to him. And so many other things we could think about. Hope for kids who are away from the faith. And I, I really love what Babe Ruth said in that letter. He said, don't shy away from catechizing kids. Don't let them make the choice for themselves. Oh, you know, when they grow up, they'll decide whether they want to be Catholic or not. No, no, no. Give them the truth. And he basically said, look, as long as you've given them the fundamentals, you've done your job. He said, they may leave the faith, but the faith will never leave them. God will never leave them. He'll never leave us. Sometimes we walk away from him. We always do. But God is always there. And so he talked about this interior chapel, or I guess you could say the interior oratory of the heart. And and how that was always kind of there, and he had to open the doors up and just find God again. And that was really powerful. Also, he realized, I think Babe Ruth was pretty spiritually wise to realize that his holiness or lack thereof during his playing career when he was just living this this life of sin, it affected so many other people, not just him, but on the human and supernatural levels. He talked about his physical health and how it affected that. And the way he was living his life. He was told many times by doctors, you have to change your ways. He wasn't exactly spending a million dollars on his body like LeBron James does these days, let's put it that way. Beer and hot dogs, but his spiritual health. And it just reminds me of something that uh, St. Jose Maria Escrivá said, the founder of Opus Dei, that, that so many things depend on our correspondence with grace. So many things and so many people are depending on us corresponding with the will of God in our lives and just being online with him. And so... And he realized he, he let not only himself down, he let God down, he let his teammates down, he let the fans down. It was his job. The kids who were looking up to him, he wasn't giving them a good example. And he, and he had to atone for that. And so I just thought, this is a really powerful letter about how Babe Ruth came back to faith. And, he, and the, what the world, quote unquote, offered him was never satisfactory to him. Did he enjoy himself at a, at a human level, at a, at a fleshly level? No, no question. But it didn't satisfy him because he was breaking communion with God. And so just to hear him get that Eucharistic communion at the end, that was, that was just powerful. 